Hello and welcome to the Best Foot Music Podcast. This is the second part of Decolonising the Creative Space with Kamla Jo Braithwaite and Dr Leila Caddywell. If you are enjoying these podcasts, we'd really appreciate if you could like, share, follow or leave a comment. Thank you. Have you encountered any dilemmas? Because I know you're a creative artist yourself and you make uh, documentaries. Um, have you experienced such reproduction of inequalities? Um, I think the only issue we had, not issue, but a kind of thing we were thinking about with our last production was in terms of the other, because I think the the kind of use of the other in terms like developing and developed have sort of bothered me from the first day we started the course. And I think when we were thinking of refugees and migrants as terms, we often think of refugees and migrants as being maybe even from a different country or brown and black people coming to the UK when that's not necessarily the case at all. But I think even in terms of those kind of phrases and how people think of, well, those people, or like there's a difference between us. Yeah. And that's, not that difference is a bad thing, but I think people, when you set up something as being different, it, like you kind of weigh against each other, whereas they could be different but equal. Yeah, yeah. And and why should also be focused on difference necessarily and not on interconnection or interconnectedness and how our actions influence the other and their action influence the you know other. So the and how we actually are shaped by the result you know, as a result of these our interconnected interactions. So so yeah. Yeah, it's like it's not that you are this thing. I suppose it's how they say with the um what is the norm? It's actually that everybody's other to somebody else. Yeah. But I don't know that we think about it that way. It's kind of like this one thing is the norm and everything else is other to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happens in the colonially established practices where more powerful groups become the norm. They mm-hmm. set the tone, they set the voice, they frame the story, they tell the story, and that becomes the norm. And the other stories remain other and even silenced. Mm-hmm. And interconnected with this is also patriarchy, where male voice becomes the norm. Exactly, yeah. And the storyteller, and the standard, and, and, and even gets seen as gender neutral. Right, and is seen as as the appropriate voice, right voice to tell the story. And singular male is the is the best narrator. And particular subjects like information based or history based or knowledge based, uh, more cap- It's the male narrator who are more capable of telling those stories. So you see, over ninety nine percent of the time around the world, documentary voice is a male voice. Mm-hmm. Right? So then, de- and that perpetuates itself. Yeah, exactly. And then decolonization would actually mean challenging that. Mm-hmm. No, so uh, the, I think also the thing with 
decolonization, there's so much kind of intersectionality with it. Yeah. It's not just about race, there's class, there's gender, and then you have the whole gender identity expression and all these kinds of things. So maybe for some people, it's a lot of work. And so it's better if we don't, don't even start to ask a question because then you end up asking a lot of questions. And some people maybe don't want to do the work. Yeah, yeah. And and I really like the idea of intersectionality because just recently somebody asked me, if you question like that, that why always we privilege male voice, what are our unconscious biases? Uh, and uh, do you mean that always female voice should be there? So my response was no, we should think in terms of intersectionality because even there is class-based uh, you know, that intersects with caste-based privileges, intersect with it. Also, where people are born, their locations, all these play a role. So our thinking should be guided by these intersectional thinking. But it reminds me something about you, you shared earlier from your context where everyone is black and brown. So how does this Black Lives Matter reflect there and decolonization reflect there? Well, I think um, at home in Trinidad and Tobago, right now we're dealing with an issue where there was uh, the police killed three people in an area called Morva that is viewed by, I guess, I would say viewed, but also represented as being a kind of crime hotspot. So it's like, despite the fact that I would say the majority of people are law-abiding citizens, not necessarily, we wouldn't go into whether the law is right or wrong, but law-abiding citizens, and that's the standard, and not to mention of various professions and children, all kinds of people, and so you had this killing, and then there were protests, and uh, it was kind of put across as being this violent thing and there were other shootings and in one of the protests uh, a pregnant woman was killed and so there's now a kind of well no it wasn't the police it was the protesters everybody was shooting at each other situation but people are people who had originally been in support of Black Lives Matter so there was definitely a Black Lives Matter, and we should be supporting this, and it's important all over the world. But now that we've had this situation, you're seeing kind of class and privilege coming into it, where even though the majority of the population at home is black and brown, they, therefore the police are reflective of that, and the people who are protesting are the same. You have people saying, oh, well, no, they shouldn't have done that, or they should have got permission to protest. And I'm like, how do you get permission from the police to protest the police? You, like, that's not how it works. So we have to ask, as um, Kimberly Jones said in the States, we have to ask why. Like, why are people out protesting and setting fire and blocking streets? And if there's looting and different things, like, why is it happening? We can't just say, well, these people can't be doing this and there's so many opportunities and different things if we don't ask why. So I think right now at home 
we're having the Black Lives Matter conversation, but it's a little muddier because everybody's black and brown and people don't see it as... It's not a race thing, but the same principles are applying. And I think because it's not divided by race and people could see there's a difference like that, Yeah, they don't transfer the issues. But there is a class element to it as well that will justify reproduction of inequalities and violence. Yeah, and I think because people don't see... On the one hand, we think we're all the same. Yeah. But so we can't, which is good and bad, because then it blocks you from seeing the differences that do exist as to why somebody, you don't ask why, because you think of it in terms of yourself. Like, we're all the same. I wouldn't do that, so why would you? So that it never comes to, oh, there's an actual difference and I should ask why. Because so I think part of the problem is seeing yourself as the other person. Yeah. Because we're not all the same, therefore we have to look at the circumstances. Yeah. yeah. So and also yeah. coming back to the issue of creative spaces, how would you see in Trinidad and Tobago, uh how are creative spaces are they neutral spaces? Uh so can you tell us a bit more on that? Um, I think, kind of as we had touched on earlier, once a space has people in it, it can't be neutral because it's fueled by whatever they are thinking and feeling. So I think even if you're doing a solo project, it's still not neutral because it's whatever you are putting into it. Um, at home, I think there are so many different kinds of creative spaces. But for example, if I use, um, let's say, Carnival as one of the, I guess, major ones, you, there's a lot of, I think that you could probably talk about decolonizing Carnival as a whole thing by itself, because how Carnival started was kind of the, like the planters and whoever had their own celebration. So then everybody else came up with their own thing. And then there's the whole kind of legislation against drumming and different things like that to quell to quell people. And so that's kind of how, for example, the steel pan was born because they couldn't drum, so they used the tambo bamboo and then it developed into, oh, we could use these old oil drums and the instrument was created. But also you had like the parades where people would be the privileged classes would be on kind of trucks or floats and separate from the people. So then the lower classes, as it were, would be on the streets. And now the carnival, in my opinion, is kind of coming full circle back to that, where prices have gone ridiculously high. People now, although they're parading in the streets, they rope off and have so much security and there have been incidents where people have been beaten because they were perceived to be in a place where they shouldn't have been. The ropes for the bands are now like on the pavement so you can't even stand up to watch it. So it's a very exclusive thing. So I think definitely at home there are issues about 
decolonize in this space. Mm. But there's also the issue of, well, if you just paid the money, you could be in it too. So it's kind of like, but what is carnival supposed to be? So I guess what is the creative space and the product supposed, is it supposed to be inclusive? Or is it supposed to be a thing that only if you're invited or you can afford, you can become involved in? Do you mean so, a, a kind of commercialized, quite kind of expensive to get into kind of space? Is that? Yes. Right, right. So I think, it, it, yeah, it's kind of like all aspects, I guess, of it have become kind of exclusive. Like how do you produce art or whatever it is? Do you need to be trained? Do you need to have special equipment? Like, who gets to produce it? And then once it's produced, where is it shown? If it's in the cinema, if it's free, if you have to pay to participate. So, yeah, I think a lot of it... I think if we asked why, or if we wanted to ask why, things might change. But it's a lot of work even to get to the knowing that you should ask why. Yeah. And kind of going behind why we do certain things because it's not necessarily an intention. It's just how you do things. Yeah. So you kind of have to, as you were saying later, unlearn yeah. what you know. Yeah. Yeah. So then learn. Yeah. That was the second part of decolonizing the creative space with Kamla Jo Braithwaite and Dr Lely Caddywell. The next part will be available on the usual platforms on Friday 24th of July 9am UK time. You can see more of our work at bestfootmusic.net. We're a non-profit organisation that works with musicians and communities that have come to live in the UK from around the world. Thanks for listening. We hope you come back soon.